Now I'm going to continue from where I stopped, which one, well, that was last time I began to teach on the matter of the true service of God. There is something we go over once in a while so as to help us as believers be focused on what is true and do that which is right. All right, so we began that subject last time again, the true service of God, what it means really to serve God. And one of the things I said then was for people to remember that everybody serving God is not only those who have a prominent ministry. It's one of those things that I emphasized um, extensively. And I told you, I gave, we met a policeman on the road. We were driving from Makodi, Israel, Okemoti, and I. And when he found out we were coming from ministry work, he said, ah, oh, that God has not yet, that he will soon drop the gun, the policeman, and go and start serving God. And we told him that that is not true. That's a very wrong mentality. You are at a checkpoint, you are serving God. You are carrying that weapon, you are serving God. Your life as a police officer is actually the service of God. It's not only when you resign and go to a church, join the workforce, that you now say you are serving God. You are serving God just by being a police officer. And as a Christian, that's how our life is. Every part of our lives, all right, are to be lived in the service of God. I want to just quickly read that second um, Corinthians chapter um, 5, just to look at uh, that um, statement from the mouth of Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just start from uh, verse, um, okay, let me just start from verse 13, even though where I'm going is verse 15. He said, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Please notice verse 15. That's actually where I want. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Please, I want you to note that very carefully. That is a scripture, a line, a verse of scripture there that tells us that it is every aspect of our lives that's supposed to be lived as in service to God. He said we don't live for ourselves, we live for the one who died and rose again on our behalf. I remember once I had a discussion with one of my chiefs. We were talking about preachers. And we were saying that uh, preachers, there was this discussion going on about preachers and uh, fine things that why should a preacher be driving a Mercedes-Benz? So I told, talked to my chief. I said, but ma, you are driving a Mercedes-Benz. He said, no, those people, they are working for God. I said, so you, who are you working for? She said, I'm working for myself. <laughs> I said, ma, it's a lie. As a believer, you can't work for yourself. It is not possible for you to be doing anything. And he said, that one is for yourself. Whatever you are doing as a Christian must be for God. If you are marrying you are marrying for God. If you are being married, you are being married for God. All right? If you are eating, you are eating as unto the Lord. If you are reading as a student, you are reading for God. If you are writing an examination, you are writing an examination for God. That's why you can't cheat. You don't pass for God. You write the exam for him. Are you getting my point? When he, when he blesses you with success, all right? So you cannot cheat in an exam. As a believer, it is not allowed. If you're a lecturer, you are teaching students, you are teaching them as unto the Lord. If you're you are a child, I mean, an offspring in a house, you are relating with your parents, you are doing it as unto the Lord. If you're a parent, you are handling your children, you are doing that as unto the Lord. If you're a preacher, are you getting my point? We all know that one, we don't need to say it. You are preaching as unto the Lord. If you are preaching the gospel, that is the work of God. 
If you are giving money, it is the work of God. If you are sleeping at home, it sounds funny, right? It is the work of God. <laughs> People don't realize that. You have to sleep as unto, as unto the Lord. You sleep at the right time. You wake up at the right time. It is vain to go to bed late. If you are going to bed late all the time, you are disobeying God. Because that sleep, you are depriving God of his sleep, which is not good. You know he can't sleep in heaven. He can't slumber. It depends on you to get his own appropriate dose of sleep. So if you are not doing the sleep that you are supposed to do for him, you are cheating heaven of their sleep. Sounds funny, but it is true. We see it as we go on. So every aspect of our lives, it's like, ah, how can sleeping be for God? Let me tell you the truth. There was a time Jesus sent the disciples out. After a while, he said, come aside and rest for a while. I've heard preachers say before, that hard work has never killed anybody. It's not true. Hard work kills people. The truth is that there is excessive labor. And if you are doing excessive labor, you are disobeying God. Because your rest is part of working for God. If you read my book, which I recommended last time, and I'm recommending again today, How to Work for God. The last chapter of that book is titled Rest. In that segment, not the last chapter. The last segment of the book, we describe rest as a way of working for God. So every aspect of a believer's life, you do those things knowing that you are doing them as unto the Lord. Now let's take the particular scripture for today's teaching. Let me continue from that particular point. There was something I ended with last time. I want to just pick up from there. The book of John chapter 6 is where we'll start from. And then also open to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. I want to explain something from that book of Ephesians chapter 1. Just open it and keep it open, and then we'll go and start reading from, Ephes- uh, from John chapter 6. Where I'm going, of course, I'd always like to back up a bit. You know the story in the book of John chapter 6, so as not to, save, uh, to waste a lot of time. Let's just give us our, let's remind ourselves of what happened there without having to read it now. In the book of John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus multiplied the bread, and 5,000 people were fed. Now, after that, the Bible says that in verse 15, Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and then they got into a boat, and then they crossed the boat, and there were problems on the way, but I don't want to talk about the problems. Now, if you go down to verse 22, the next day, the crowd that stood at the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, that was the headquarters, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now let's continue from verse 26, which is the reason why we are reading this. The Lord Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, and those signs, I'm adding uh, an amplification here, and those signs are supposed to show you who really I am. He said, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said to them, do not work for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may walk the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, I, um, let me just read it a bit more. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign? He said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. I've jumped to 31. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. All right. I now said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, let me just stop here. All right. Now, let's now go to that Ephesians chapter 1. You see why I'm reading this. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just read verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He said, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Let me just stop here, please. I'm trying to not read too many things, and yet um, bring out all the points. Now, why am I, did I read this? Last time we ended with a particular thought, and that's what I want to expand on today. This, I think, is one of those important things that, Every Christian should know, and every Christian should teach other believers. The doctrine that I preach in this regard is not very popular. Not not many people know it, and many people don't even agree with it. But the truth is that it is the truth, and I will continue to teach it. Now, let me explain this expression when we say something is in Christ. We describe that on Tuesday for those who are around. What does it mean when we say something is in Christ? No, before I say, let me go back to why I read John chapter 6. I'll come back to that in a moment. Now, remember I said this is very, very important. If you have been listening to me for a long time, or preachers like me, you have learned this truth. But we have to just keep emphasizing it, all right? Now, in that book of John chapter 6, what do we see here? Some people were laboring. They saw Jesus, and they, he did some miracles, and they went after him, all right? They spent a lot of energy, got into boats, paid their way, all right? Entered the boats, was looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they told him, Master, it looked like they loved him. You would have thought they were doing all of these things so that they could come in contact with him again and have a relationship with him. But he looked at their hearts and said, the reason why you are doing what you are doing is because of what you are going to get out of it. He said that to them clearly. That you are not seeking me because you saw the signs, and as a result of the signs, you got the evidence that this is the Son of God who has life in himself, so we can tap life from him and become what God wants us to be. He said, no, 
it is because of bread. It's because you found out that if we walk with him, we will not have to eat and walk again. We'll get all the food that we need. Now, that bread refers, all right, to, or let me put it like this. It's a type of many things that we are looking for in life as people. That bread is a type of money. That bread is a, is a sign, all right? It's, a, it's an expression of a job, a connection, a family, whatever it is that people may be looking for in life, or health, whatever it is. There are many things people are looking for. That bread stands for that, okay? And they were looking for Jesus, and he said categorically, all the effort you are put it, putting in is so that you can get that bread out. And these people were putting, on a lot of, putting in a lot of effort. And that's what I want to explain to us again today. That is what a lot of Christians do today. You know, once I was into a preacher, I preach, big man of God. And I was trying to explain to people that why God will bless. In fact, I've heard it from different places. I just, different ones are coming to my mind now. Also, I was in the church once, a man was saying it. That there's no how God will not bless you more than he has blessed the other people. Why? Because many people fasted. They were supposed to be fasting. Many people fasted. Some did not fast. That God is just. He will bless those who fasted more than those that did not. I was there that day. I just smiled to myself. I said, this man, you don't know God yet. You don't. You don't understand him well. If you did, you wouldn't make that statement. The other man I was listening to, he was saying like, ah, every time they call you to come to church, you are there. That God is good. No, he was trying. You see, I saw people being taught that the reason why God is going to do things for you is because of what you have done for him. And many people are putting in energy specifically because they are looking for something from God. One day my wife was present. Somebody died. And they were discussing. And the different people, you know, I thought the lady said, hmm, this is why I take the work of God seriously. Why? So that protection will be guaranteed. I think my wife answered her that day. She said, look, ah, this is why if they say come to church, I am there on time. If they say give money, now I'm amplifying it. I give money. If they say pray, I pray. If they say fast, I fast. Why? Hmm. Otherwise, you may just die suddenly. Please, I need to clarify this. It's so important. One day, it was, it's my wife that hears some of these bad, bad things all the time, actually. I don't, there are places I don't hang around, so I don't have the opportunity to be hearing some of these bad um, horror stories, you know. But thank God for her life, because she usually will answer them back. A woman was talking once. Her husband had, there was his deliverance. Maybe he was traveling, he had an accident, but he was saved. And she just remembered that the week before, I've forgotten the detail of the story now, the man gave a special offering to a particular ministry. And look at it now. This thing works, so now his life is preserved. So my wife answered and said, so as far as you are concerned, it is the seed your husband sowed that preserved his life today. Let me not give you details of their discussion, but this is the point. That is the erroneous way Christians reason. So when people are talking about how do we work for God, most of the time they are not asking for how to work for God. What they are asking for is simple. How do we get something out of God? How do we get bread out of him? How do we get promotion out of him? How do we get long life out of him? They are talking about let's work for God, but what they are actually asking for is how do we get blessings out of him? I want to say it again today. That is not Christianity. It is wrong. 
there are things that we are, we are very few that say it. But we'll continue to say it because they are true. You've, those of you who have listened to me long enough, it's not, nothing new, all right? There's nothing new about it. You've heard me say it again and again. Christians say they give so that God will use that to bring prosperity into their lives. Listen, that is not only wrong, it's an insult. To him, not to me. I don't know you. Are you getting my point? Not only is it wrong, it's bad. It's not innocent. It's not neutral. It's actually a negative thing. You are less likely to prosper if you think like that than if you didn't have that thought. Please, let me just emphasize, I'm talking to Christians, not to Muslims. I'm talking to Christians, not to Hindus. My message is not addressed to Buddhists. I'm not talking about people who practice New Age. Because I've said to us again and again, there is a difference between spiritualism and spirituality. For the purposes of our expressions here, all right, spirituality is the one that is Christianity. And spirituality, true spirituality, is filtered through Christ. Spiritualism are just principles that work. Like I said before, you can learn physics and get some things. So somebody can come and tell you, in the realm of the spirit, we have learned some principles. That is that we have learned that a man that gives, gets, which is not, which is not wrong. Even Jesus told us some of those things. You will see them. But how it applies to Christians, we'll see as we go on. Spiritualism, are, like, I'll give a very good example. You've heard of the law of retribution. It's not Christianity, it's, spiritual, it's spiritualism. It's just, spiritualism is not evil. Though. Please, I, I hope you are getting my point. It's not an evil thing. It's just the law of a particular realm. Just like you have physics, you have biology, you also have spiritual, spiritual, spiritual realm, like spiritual physics. And you can operate them. But the only thing I want us to understand is that for Christians, our realm is higher than that. We live in a realm that's called the realm of Christ. And the way the things there operate is what I'm explaining. In that realm, things work differently. In Christianity, what, some of these things that Christians do, don't, they, they are wrong. A person cannot get up and say that so that God might do this for him, me, I will do this for him. That is wrong for a believer. We can't say these things enough. One of the reasons why we need to keep saying it is because people hear the exact opposite, and that exact opposite takes glory away from God. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like it. As a Christian, you cannot say, this is why, I will, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, so that God can do something back for me. I gave the expression that a woman said, I will take care of God's children, he will take care of my own. I don't know where we got that, you know, that idea from. You just get up, we create our own covenants, create our own agreements, and decide that God must fulfill them. A man told me once, that he's doing his business with ease. This was many years ago, more than 10 years ago. I said, why? Well, he said, because there is a particular church. He bought them a keyboard so that when they are playing the keyboard, God will be hearing the sound of his sacrifice. So when the keyboard breaks down, your, your blessings are gone. I mean, think about it. When the keyboard breaks down, your offering is dead. And you know it's going to break down. Nothing lasts forever. Sometimes it won't even break down. The church will just prosper. They set the old one aside. And bring a new blessing. 
and the people who contributed money for the new one, God will have to transfer all the blessings. Because it's instrumental, it's instrumentally provoked blessing. It's whose music is being played that the blessing is being released into his life. The day I heard that fellow, I knew the church was going to, and I felt very bad. And he makes funny statements. He says the power of a covenant. Let me just quickly tell you something again. Let's learn real Christianity. Forget the days we are playing. In Christianity, we don't make covenants with God. There's nothing like that. Human, listen, let me say it to you. Christians never, ever, we do not have the power, the right. He didn't give us that privilege to initiate any covenant with him. <laughs> Go and listen to David Parsons, the five covenants of God. He will teach you the principles. I don't have the time to go through that now. But this is the point. God has made a covenant in Christ. And in that covenant, you just put your head inside. And that's what we read from that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 just now. He said he died for all. So that all who live will no longer live for themselves. If you are living, listen, if you have to dedicate any part of your life to God. Are you getting my point? It's a place where you were walking in sin before. You did not realize it. It's not something to be added to you. It's not an advantage. It's not a plus that I have dedicated my money to God. What were you doing with it before? Right now, I've dedicated my time to serve God. Who were you serving with it before? When Christians say things like that a lot of times, what they mean is that now I will not spend it in the market, I'll spend it in church, which purely is idolatry. Because if you understood truth, you would know that in that market, you were supposed to be serving God with your time. In Christianity, God owns you entirely. It's not you get up today and say, God, I want to dedicate my right arm or my left arm. And you now expect a special blessing. If you ever do that, you know what God will say to you? He say, finally, this boy has been serving me with only part of his life all this while. He finally woke up. There's no added blessing. It's like he has stopped sinning. Can you come to God and say, Lord, I want to pray. Today, I want to dedicate my mouth to you. I will never lie again. And you expect a blessing. I don't know whether you get my point. Do you expect a blessing? You come and say, Lord, from now on, I'll be walking in sexual integrity. I won't do all this urukuruka I was doing before. God will now bless you extra. God will say, you, you try. Your death was supposed to be tomorrow. Thank God you, rep- thank me you, rep- you repented today. I don't know whether you get my point. There is no special blessing attached to it. You just return to what you were supposed to be doing. That's why a Christian cannot make any special covenant and expect any special blessing. Let's get it clear. People, many times they are trying to serve God. They are trying to buy blessings from him. They are looking for something they will do, and that will be the reason God will bless them. And they will now go back to the Old Testament and start looking for some things. As examples. People will now come and say, Solomon offered a bond of a, a thousand bond offerings. And God could not rest again. And God started running up and down and said, Solomon, I must bless you. God said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The cartoon on a thousand hills, they are mine. That offering of Solomon does not provoke heaven. Don't be silly. How much is a thousand bond offerings? God said, count the cattle on a thousand hills. They are mine. So he took some of my cattle and slaughtered for me, and I, I, won't, I won't rest again. Say, hey, see offering. I never seen this kind of offering before. Work by me. Oh, this boy wants to kill somebody in heaven. <laughs> because of a thousand bond offerings. 
know, we preachers are very, we are very funny people. And I said, today you will multiply and say, God, you will do me more than I did Solomon. My own offering will be 2,000 today. So every offering today will be 2,000 or multiples thereof. 20,000, 200,000, 2 million. And then you say, God, this is the covenant of Solomon. People will now get up, go somewhere to the Old Testament, under the law, or even before the law. All right? And pick up the fact that Hannah dedicated her first son to God. And then God gave her five more children. So people will pick up on things like that. Hannah, you know, vowed a vow unto the Lord. And the Lord did something for her. So today you are going to vow unto God. That God, if you are going to give me a million naira, I will give 200,000 naira. And that's supposed to provoke a blessing. See, we'll look at all these things in detail as we go on. Then they come and say, Jephthah, pray to God. And God did a miracle. No, we often don't quote Jephthah because Jephthah's case was terrible. No preacher will quote Jephthah. The offering will not be good. Yeah, because when you quote Jephthah, the end of the story is bad. A young girl was slaughtered as an offering unto the Lord. You know, the Bible doesn't give us the details of how the girl was slaughtered. But the girl was. And I am not convinced that offering pleased God. That's why just don't don't open your mouth and be promising God all kinds of things. It doesn't mean he likes your promises. Some people get up and just promise that God, I promised you that from now on, I'll be praying between 3 and 5 a.m. every day. Maybe he wants you to sleep. But you feel, you know, there's, this some, there's something about you. You're exercising yourself and you feel very righteous. All of you, you can preach after one month. All of you are sleeping. When, we are sleep, when you are sleeping, some of us are out there battling the kingdom of hell on your behalf. Self-righteousness has stepped in. If I ask God, what do you think? God will have said, oh boy, go to bed at this time. Sleep throughout. I want six uninterrupted hours. Unless you want to go and wee wee. <laughs> Otherwise, sleep straight. It is not every time we make up our minds and promise God things that he's happy with them. I am convinced the offering offered by Jephthah was not pleasing to God. I am convinced God wanted to make a point that if you think it's because of this, your offerings that I bless people, let me show you that it's not. Because I said to God, anything that comes out to meet me, I will offer unto you. God says, that is okay. You are thinking it will be your dog, Abby. You are hoping it will be one of your slaves. Because it could not have been your goat. Goats don't come to greet people normally. Sheep will not hear that our guy has come home. They will not rush up. Welcome from the battle. They don't do that. I'm sure he was thinking to be his dog, his slaves, one of those people. Unfortunately for him, the person that loved him most in the house was his daughter. To let you know that he was not counting on it, when the girl came out, he tore his clothes. That tells you, he was planning for all those slaves. Anyone will come greet me. <laughs> because let me show you that everybody is valuable. The girl ran out ahead. And the man said, Kai, you have made me sad today. Listen, I've told you before, you know, sometimes when I preach, it's as if this man is not spiritual. Anyway, I told you it's not new. I'm used to it. Listen, I know I'm strange. 
When I tell people, I know they promise God anything. No? You that can promise him something, have fun. I don't. I don't know how to. It's out of experience anyway and training. I can promise you something. I can promise my wife something. But as for God, I say, anything you want, take. As for promising, I, I'm sorry I can't. If there is anything I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing and I discover it, I start doing it. It's not about promising God. Some will say, God, when you give me a million naira or a hundred million, I will, I will give you 40 percent. I don't think I've ever done that. Because by the understanding of God I have, it's such a silly statement. So when you give me 40%, what happens to the other 60? You will eat it. Is your mouth big enough to eat 60%? When I meet God, I'm eating 40. Think about it. It's like telling God, listen. Oh no, tell me your father. Oh no, I mean I'm in the house. My son comes. And say, Daddy, if you give me 100, I promise I'll give you 20. You know what I'm going to say? I'll just keep the 100. It's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no, think about You know, we don't think critically about these things. This is how I do my own. Lord, you see that 100 millionaire? These are the things I want to do with it. I want to buy my wife a skyscraper. I want to do this. I want to give this to my friend. You know, he's a pastor. He doesn't have a good car. I want to give him this one. I want to help my, my friend do this one. These are the things I want to do. Because, you see, the one I eat is an offering also. I don't know what, are you getting my point? Yes. I can tell God, say, you know, I want to change this car. I want to buy a higher one, bigger tires, louder lights. I want to make it boom, boom, boom when I'm passing. Do you like it like that? Say, why are you making noise? You don't like the noise? No. Okay. I will turn down the volume, but I still like the car. <laughs> I'm telling you, how I, that's how I live my life. There's nothing like I promise God, if you just give me 100 million, I'll give you 10 million. It's a very stupid promise as far as I am concerned. My son can't come to me and say, that if you give me 1,000, I'll give you 100 naira. I will tell him, don't worry, I will keep it. That way my 1,000 will be complete. <laughs> Have you heard the joke? It's a very interesting joke. I, you know, these days, jokes fly up and down. Once in a while, some of them are very edifying, so I shared them. <laughs> what I mean by edifying? Say a man came to God and said, if you give me $10, I'll give you a dollar. If you give me $100, I give you $10. If you give me $1,000, I give you $900. I'll give you $100. Nice arrangement. Ties it. Then one day he was going on the road. He found $900. Ah, he said, God, you don't take your own hundred. Thanks. Say, Baba, God, you are too much. <laughs> you collected your whole hundred. <laughs> you are getting the point here. Now, you see, that's the way we behave sometimes as Christians. But this is my understanding that I don't make such promises to God. I don't make such vows. This is what I do. And it's based on scripture. And you see it as gone. It's based on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said to the Lord, I want this. I need it. Let me have it. That's it. That's the beginning. That is the end. If I feel like you should explain why I need it, I will explain it. But I never try to provoke him by telling him I'll give him something from it. It's not Christianity. It's a joke. You may say, but Hannah did it. I'm going to tell you two things. One, Hannah doesn't know what I know now. That's number one. Number two, 
Hannah didn't have a promise that come and ask in my name. The other stories about Hannah, I can't tell them now. Because from the life of Hannah, we learn other things. We learn about working in purpose. You, you will learn about the purpose for what you are asking, which James taught us later. Because when you are asking, if the purpose for the request is not right, God told us through, told us through James that he will not grant it. If you ask for competition, I won't grant it. If you ask because of your lust, I will not grant it. Read the beginning of James. One of the first things that God gives people is wisdom. If you are asking so that you will not use wisdom, he will not grant it. What can be done with 10,000? I decide to ask for 100,000 for it. And God is wondering, why are you not doing with the 10,000 I gave you? So let's do it big. Because that 10,000 will just be as effective. He said, no, I want the 100,000. James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, that's what James said. One of the first things that God gives you is wisdom. Those are the reasons we ask. We can, we'll look at that maybe at another time on what you can learn from the life of Hannah. But the point is this. When somebody wants to make requests of God as a Christian, we have only one thing we are allowed to use. Ask in the name of Jesus. We're talking about how to work for God. I'm going to correct something in the lives of Christians. We're talking about the true service of God. Many times people are trying to serve God. They have this mindset that let me do it so he can bless. Again, I say it, that is not Christianity. It's not Christianity. At that time, when we were talking about them, um, we, we, we needed co workers here. You know, we made the announcements, and I'm so happy the way people responded. And the work I've got, it has become easier for those who have been overlabeled, the people that were doing the work before. I like the fact that many people now put their hands together so that we can do this work together. Those who believe that this gospel should be advanced. When we were making a joke about it then, okay, we said something, yeah. There's a way we do these things in a, in a crooked way. Everybody will come for work. So as you are sweeping the sanctuary, God will be sweeping problems out of your life. And then when you get to your doorstep, you will see where he swept it to. <laughs> yeah, when you are going home, when you get home, you will see where he swept it to. When you make promises he did not make. But what I want to bring out, you know, that's how Christians respond to things. Pastors take advantage of it. They will say, listen, as you are sweeping the sanctuary, God is sweeping problems out of your life. And everybody comes to sweep the sanctuary because they want God to sweep problems out of their lives. And I'm preaching to you again today, that is very wrong. It is very wrong. And Jesus said, you came to sweep not because you realize that the service is necessary for the propagation of the gospel that you claim to love, but because you want me to sweep problems out of your life. You saw the way we responded to them. When they were, Master, when did you get here? Is it time to sweep? Just look at them and say, why do, you, why do you want to sweep? Because your first son is giving you problems. You want to sweep. So I can sweep his bow out of his head. You watch Christian TV all the time. They propagate these things, and it's very sad. There's a grandmother out there. Your grandson is on drugs. Sow a seed for his deliverance. Listen, that is wickedness. That is fraud. You are defrauding that woman because I know grandparents and their grandchildren. Grandparents are softer towards those children than their own parents. One day I had to sit my son I can do down. I want him seriously. 
I said, because you have a grandmother that has money, doesn't mean I'm not your father. Yes, the boy will wake up and decide he needs a PS4. He knows that there is no spirit that can possess him that will ask me for a PS4. What will he say he ate? <laughs> Did this man of God ask me for a PS4? Like, like, <laughs> I'll give you four footballs. That's good enough. <laughs> so we get up and ask his grandmother for a PS4. And that one will never say no. I seized it for almost a year. And I told my grandmother, my mother-in-law simply, you don't buy anything for my son that I don't approve. Nicely. No, besides, I just go there, tell start like this. I know they crazy. So. But <laughs> <laughs> I said very nicely. I seized, in fact, the brothers came and said, Daddy, please. We want to know. In fact, I said, Akinu didn't send us. So. <laughs> he didn't send us. But I just want to know, no, and it was sincere, that what did he do wrong? Why is this PS4 under imprisonment? The, the, you know, the boy was, because you know they were excited, you know they were kids, PS4, oh more, hey, where's the PS4? Daddy, don't go like that, you know? So, put up. <laughs> ah, when I heard the price, I said, in this house, nobody's playing anything. I said that for almost a year. I'm not kidding you. In fact, they forgot about it. That just by the way, not part of our message. But that's our grandparents, uh, Just indulge grand you understand? One's like, ah, my grandchild, take this one. Just uh, come with chocolate. Everybody start eating. That's how my children love to travel. <laughs> because things that they can't dare at home. Preachers know that. When I get up and be telling you that so is seed for the deliverance of your grandson. And grandparents we sow it. This is the truth. God does not need that seed to deliver that grandson. Sometimes you will get a testimony. They will say it was when I planted the seed. It's a lie. It was when in desperation you reached out to him. People don't know that. What am I teaching today, please? That motivation for serving God it's unchristian. It is wrong. We don't do things for God because of what we are going to get out of it. It is not allowed. We are talking Christianity here. This is not religion. This is not idolatry. We offer sacrifices so that he will not give us something back. It is wrong. Listen, nobody understood God as father until Jesus came. So many people who related with him beforehand did not know how to relate with the father. With him as father, I wanted to say. They did not know how to relate with him as father. They knew how to relate with him as God. They knew how to relate with him as a master, as Lord. They knew how to relate with him as somebody to be feared. They knew how to do that. But they did not understand that he was a father. That was why Jesus came and taught them. He said there was a name that nobody knew until I came to reveal it. And what is that name? Father. He taught them to say, our father, who art in heaven. Nobody ever called him father in prayer before then. But there's a concept, all right, about it, which we need to understand. It means, therefore, that when we believers now want to relate with God, 
we should realize that we are relating with a father. And I keep on telling people, that is why he thinks. What I mean by he thinks that you should realize that. That's why you can ask for something and he says, no, it's not good for you. That's why he can give you something you did not ask for. Because he's a father. That is why, listen, Jesus said, how many of you ask God for a, your child asks for a, a fish and you give him a serpent? That is, there's something about fathers when they are relating with their children. And Jesus said that's how the Heavenly Father is with us also. And that's why one of our brothers here, the one who told me, said, I don't, I don't ask God for anything. I said, why not? You don't ask God for anything. This was many years ago. Over here, we're sitting down. You don't ask God for anything? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I don't know what I have done for him. That will give me the right to come and ask him for anything. You know, sometimes you are surprised. That you mean people are actually thinking like this? I looked at him and said, what? Are you serious? Is that supposed to be a joke or something? Then I had them, um, Akinolu and Olubinga, they were the two children in the house, so men had not been born that time. And he knew them very well. I said, you know those two boys? He said, yes. I said, what do they do for me? He got the point. I said, what do they do for me? What can they do for me? At that time, if Omena had not been born, that means Akinolu was not even four yet. I said, these two boys, what do they do for me? He got the point. I said, but what will I not do for them? What will be within my capacity that they will require that I will not do for them? That is why I think that doctrine we preach, that nothing leaves God's hands until something leaves your own, it does not put into the context that we are dealing with a father. Even though God is judge, but is also a father. When we are making requests of him, I'll talk about that as we go. In fact, that's part of my message for today, although we are talking about it again and again and again. When we are making requests, being father and being judge, he said, look, I'm the judge. That's right. But as father, I need to do something for my children. So as father, he gave them a platform for making requests that will not break his principles as being judge. And what is that platform? He said, ask in the name of Jesus. And that is the reason why we read that Ephesians chapter 1. He said, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places where? In Christ. That's where I'm going. 